Are you critically insane, have a lot of excess money, or even better, both? Then you can support this podcast by clicking on the ACAR support button. You can give as rarely and as little as you want, which, judging by the quality of this, I'm sure you're wanting to do. After our extended trip in the DC Universe, we finally make our way to Earth-616 and look at the life and times of one Clint Barton and Kate Bishop, a.k.a. Hawkeye. Welcome back to PhD Student Reads. This is episode 9, I think. Yep, 9. I've written 9 at the top. To be honest, I never check. And I'm never sure. But let's go with 9. It's in bold. It must be true. And this month, we shall be covering Hawkeye Volume 2, Little Hits. Spoilers ahead, of course. I mean, we're pretty much going to go through the story page by page. So if you haven't read it... Why not? I suppose that's the first thing. You should. Would recommend. I mean, it's been out for a while now. It was published on the 9th of December 2015 by Marvel Comics and collects issues 6 to 11 of Matt Fraction's Hawkeye run. So, I mean, what, you've had near enough five years to read it now. Admittedly, I've only just read it, so maybe I'm a bit of a hypocrite. But anyway, it's written by Matt Fraction. The art team here is a variety of folks on a variety of different issues. So we've got David Arjo working on issues 6, 8, 9, 10 and 11. Francesco Francavilla doing art and colours on issue 10. Steve Lieber and Jesse Ham working on number 7. Matt Honeysworth providing colours on issues 6 to 9 and 11. And Chris Eliopoulos being the letterer throughout. We also have Annie Wu providing romance comic cover pages in issue 8, but we'll get to those when we get to issue 8. But we'll start with issue 7, because that's how the volume starts. So from what I gather, 8 to 11 provide sort of one cohesive story, and they're all bunched together, but that makes sense, because they came out chronologically but I'm not entirely sure why the volume starts with 7 over 6. Um, maybe that makes the David Archer ones grouped together. Perhaps that's why. Maybe. I have actually literally no idea. But we start the issue with art by Steve Lieber, drawing in a way that makes it look somewhat indistinct from Arj's art, at least to me and my untrained eye. And I do wear glasses, so perhaps that's adding to it a bit. Um, this helps the volume feel somewhat more cohesive, I imagine. If you were reading it monthly, it really wouldn't have made any difference who draws it month to month, unless there was a massive change. But... Uh, when they're all grouped together and you're reading them in quick succession. I think, at least to me, it helps if they all look somewhat similar. So you're not reading one issue and then you go to the next issue and it looks totally different. And then you get to the next issue after that and it goes, it's gone back to the previous art style. Or, God forbid, another totally different 
art and style. Anyway, getting somewhat off track. It's raining in New York City. It's raining very hard, and Clint is helping his old pal Grills pack up and make his way to his father's house. Grills does not particularly like his father, but after the passing of his mother, um, he knows it's the right thing to do, so they pack up the Dodge Challenger, talk about the Ramones, and set off. They arrive at Papa Grills' house and start working on uh, flood defences, you know, sandbags, taking stuff out of the basement, shutting windows. But before you can say, arrow to the knee, <laughs> yes, I wrote that in my notes, Floodwater rushes in and flushes the forehead, forces the trio to flee upstairs, but not before getting his prized car washed away. And all the effort he took back in Volume 1 to get that, I mean, uh, unbelievable. Um, so Clint heads back upstairs to find uh, Grill's father sat alone as his son has headed back down into the now very flooded basement to retrieve some of his mother's belongings. Clint, being the hero that he is, dives in to save the drowning man, but gladly sad. Oh, I cannot speak today. Much like I can't type as of late, but that's beside the point. Clint dives in to save the drowning man, but sadly cannot save the box. Grills laments the loss of everything he's had to remind him of his mother, but Clint reminds him that that isn't quite true. He has his father, who sat upstairs alone. The pair make amends, the trio jump in a boat and sail off into the night, as Clint happily remarks that he isn't stuck at a wedding in Jersey. This wedding, I hear you all asking. Well, we jump back to... A pre-rain uh, time point, and to Jesse Ham's more animated art. I like the change in art here. I like that it, at least to me, reflects the character that is being drawn more. You like the more animated art that goes with Kate rather than with Clint. I think if it was the other way around, it wouldn't work so well. Anyway, Kate Bishop has been invited to a wedding between two people with such outrageous names that I couldn't be bothered to type them out in my script. I have the book in front of me here. Let's have a look. What? It's quite near the beginning. Here it is. Let's just go with their first names, Mary Beth and Stephen. Because, goodness me, there's a lot of letters there. Um, yeah. Also, I've just realised, looking at it, it's not a wedding at all. It's a celebration of their engagement. Well, clearly I need to read more thoroughly before putting these notes together. Um, at 8.47, the power goes out at the hotel, and there's a woman there who needs her meds. So Kate takes off her high heels, borrows some boots from a now rather bewildered hotel manager, tears off the bottom of her dress and runs off into the night to save the day. Diving into the flood water to find her little purple beetle. There, my goodness, am I having a stroke? Dives into the water to find her little purple beetle and rescue her bow and arrows. Uh, and as having done so, she takes to the streets as daylight breaks. She finds a pharmacy and then swiftly gets hit in the head and taken out by some random goons. But the people of Jersey are having none of it. They stop these rapscallions with garden tools um, and allow Kate to have this medication and therefore save the day. 
One thought I had at this point, so they're in the city, why have they got so many garden tools? This woman there looks like she's got hedge trimmers. I can't imagine, I've never been there, never been to Jersey, I can't imagine there are that many hedges in the city centre. But what do I know? Um, I'm English and I live in Scotland. Anyway, the two Hawkeyes, they reconvene at Clint's flat and they live to shoot arrows another day. I like this issue a lot. I liked both halves of it. I liked the use of the two different art styles and the way they reflect the characters that are being drawn. But I'll admit I did prefer Clint's half as someone that doesn't have the best relationship with their family. I think I can empathise with Grills and his father somewhat. Um, yeah, it was good. Good start. So we now... I guess head back in time a month in publishing schedule and take make our way through issue six. Six days in the life of. So we start on Tuesday, December the 18th and Tony Stark is helping Clint untangle wires. I like this page uh, and, and the half a page on the next. <laughs> Goodness me. Um, maybe I've had too much coffee today. Uh, and... Um, <laughs> Uh, it's lots of. Oh, I really, I really lost it now. This is by far and away the uh, the worst episode I think I may have recorded thus far. But I can't be bothered to edit this out, so uh, keep it in for your uh, bemusement at this breakdown I'm clearly having. Um, I enjoyed this bit. Lots of small panels, lots of white space. It makes it look like a bomb diffusal might be going off, although one of them's got a bauble in it so it does suggest that that might not be the case. There's lots of sweaty foreheads and talk about cutting coloured wires but no just just untangling untangling absolute wiry mess and those with a lot of technology or have put up their Christmas lights already as I know some people have in uh, Aberdeen I'm sure they can empathise with the uh, solution here. But we jump back five days to December the 13th and Hawkeye, Spider-Man and Wolverine are fighting a bunch of AIM soldiers during which Clint is taken out by a laser. Logan and Peter suggest he needs some time off to unwind, rest up, and so he does, vowing to watch the uh, entire season of Dog Cops before Logan can ruin it for him as the uh, finale has just aired. But back on December the 18th, Tony's there suggesting to Clint that he should just throw out all of his old and broken stuff and... Um, Buy new ones. There's also a brief mention of Z-Tier, Marvel Monster Hunter, Dr. Druid. I literally had no idea who it was. There's a panel with him in it. Looks a bit like Heihachi Mashima from Tekken, but uh, isn't. But we do learn that he's a man who knows about AV setups. But anyway, Clint doesn't want to do this. He has his own money, much to Tony's surprise, and this is his stuff, and he wants to make it work. So it turns out, the day before, Clint was finally getting around to unpacking his, his stuff into his new apartment, and a knock on the door reveals Simone, the woman he saved from getting extorted back in Volume 1. Have a listen to that episode, if you so choose. Um, and she's having cable troubles. That's cable television, not actual cables, like he is having. But the cause of these troubles? An arrow to the satellite dish. Well, it turns out the previous Friday, the tracksuit mafia had showed up at the building wanting the Archer Avenger, is what I've written here. Is that what... What was I thinking? Is that what a Hawkeye is called? 
Anyway, they get into a bit of a dust-up with uh, some more goons piling out of vans. And during this tussle, an arrow ends up in the dish, and I guess that causes the cable problems to begin for Simone and her kids. But the tracksuit-based problems for Clint uh, continue as he is taken captive and brought before their leader. And this leader, he is not a happy man. It turns out this, this guy does not have a name, this guy. He's just leader of the tracksuit Draculas, or tracksuit mafia, as they are referred to mostly. I thought that was quite surprising. Even some, some of the random side characters have names, but this guy, he's not have a name. Anyway, but after a little chat with Clint about uh, why they're so upset, why they want him dead, uh, he's thrown out of a van and returned home safe and sound. Clint thinks to himself, if he just gets away from New York City for a bit, all the people in his building will be safe, people he cares about will be safe, and so he wraps up his bow and sends it to Kate. Jump to December the 19th, and Clint is finally sitting down to watch dog cops. What's that on his wall? It's the bow he sent to Kate. So what has happened in in this uh, in this brief amount of time? Well, there's a knock on the door, and jump back to December the 15th, and an angry Kate Bishop is there, telling Clint that she doesn't want, that him running off sucks, that she returns the bow to him, and then she wishes him a Merry Christmas, and that's the bow mystery solved. So when the tracksuit mafia returns, Hawkeye is ready. There's a full-page panel here during this sequence. Which Clint stood in front of his building, bow in hand, no speech bubbles, no text. That just comes across as quite powerful to me, and it's very good. But it does not get the Panel of the Month award, which is literally meaningless, and I think I forgot to do it last time. Or did I say that there was no panel good enough? I can't remember. Or was that two times ago? Oh, I think maybe I should actually listen to these back. Anyway, we'll have someone else to talk to. That might make it better. Anyway, that was a good panel, but not good enough to win the panel of the show. Back in the present day, it was Simone who was at the door. Being unable to fix the arrow in her satellite dish, Clint had invited the family round, because beneath all that bravado and somewhat self-depreciation. Clint Barton is a stand-up guy. I like this issue too. If I liked all the issues in this volume, read it. Read Hawkeye Volume 2 Little Hits. Read Hawkeye Volume 1 My Life is a Weapon. Hell, read Hawkeye Volume 3 LA Woman. I haven't read it yet, but I'm sure it's just as good. I liked the unchronological nature. I liked the mix-up of somewhat heavier and somewhat lighter topics. I liked the art. I liked the panel layouts. It was good. Very much enjoyed. So, as I said earlier, the rest of the issues are one story. More like, I don't know, more like those Batman paperbacks or a traditional trade paperback where one trade is often one arc. So we kick off with My Bad Penny. And what makes this issue special is that every couple of pages or so there is a comic book cover drawn by Annie Wu that features an aspect of... Cherry's life. Cherry being the woman that Clint got the car from in the previous volume and all of the drama that that entailed. Now they do look nice, no doubt about that. But I do wonder what they add, apart from a very minor story point that could have been dealt with in any other way. I mean, you know, it's a novel approach, I guess. I just, maybe, I don't know, maybe I'm a miser. But I found them somewhat disruptive. 
yeah, they're fine. They look nice. That's the best part about them. They look very nice. Good job, Annie Wu. Anyway, anyway, focus on the plot. Cherry has shot a member of the tracksuit mafia over a red safe and shows up to the Avengers mansion to find Clint. When Clint opens the door, she kisses him. She kisses him in front of three important women. His work wife, Natasha Romanoff, his ex-wife, Bobby Morse, and his current girlfriend, Jessica Drew. As you can imagine, none of them are best pleased. So Clint takes her out of the takes her out of the mansion and back to his apartment. It turns out the man she shot was her ex-husband, and that this red safe has the information on her that she needs to stay alive. And so the pair plan a heist with a little help from Kate and some flying fists. They manage to get the safe back. Unfortunately, in the process, Clint gets arrested. But that doesn't really matter, because a couple of panels later, he's back in his flat, getting yelled at by Cherry about reading the comics that he had sent her. So it turns out, these comics were in a certain order, and this order was the passcode to the safe. So those comic covers we've been seeing, that's them. And so the issue numbers that they give, that's the code to the safe. And without the correct order, the safe cannot be opened, and so Cherry takes off. Honestly, I'd say that serves her right. Why not just write down the numbers on a piece of paper and then send that to Clint Martin? Why send the actual issues? Yep, I don't know. Literally, no idea. But in the meantime, the seedy underbelly of New York City is having a meeting. This includes some familiar faces such as the Kingpin, Mr. Negative is there, Tombstone, and they agree that Hawkeye needs to be killed. But they don't want the heat of killing an adventure. Adventure? Avenger. Avenger. Marvel's Avengers. Hawkeye and Avenger. <sighs> Deep breath. But the tracksuit mafia, they step up to the plate, because let's be honest, most of his goings-on have been ruining their affairs. So Clint Martin now has a target on his back. But before we get back to that, we jump back to the kiss at the entrance to the Avengers Mansion and what those three women and Kate Bishop were up to in the preceding moments in uh, the next issue titled The Girls, I think. I didn't write it down. I tried to do a unique thought off the top of my head and it's clearly backfired. Let me have a look. Come on, fingers. Get it together. Is it called The Girls? No, it's just called Girls. I was pretty close. I'll take that as a minor win. Um, right. Oh, and I've lost my page place in my note. Goodness me, this is all falling apart. Anyway, being the spy that she is, Natasha wants to find out who this red-haired woman is. She tracks her down to a train station, and we learn that there's nothing particularly special about her beyond some poor life choices. But we do learn her name isn't Cherry, though, and that's not really a surprise. It's Darlene Penelope Wright. Bobby, she went to see Clint, primarily to get him to sign their divorce papers on Valentine's Day. I don't know what that says about Bobby and Clint's relationship, but it doesn't say it was good. Clint has only been asleep 45 minutes, but outside they notice a van. And as Clint has had recent run-ins with the police, 
Bobby heads out to deal with them, and deal with them she does. Kate is up next, and she is rudely awakened by three older women demanding who the girl was that's been hanging around with Clint. And these three women are, of course, Nat, Bobby and Jess. She tries to keep Clint's secrets, but these women know what they're doing, and I think, as she puts it, they out-avengered her. So she leaves and starts making her way straight to Clint's apartment, where she comes across a van filled with goons. So, of course, she takes them out too. But before she can head inside, Jessica Drew arrives. Clint opens the door to Spider-Woman to receive a slap in the face. And for those of you who know Jessica Drew's power set, you can imagine how much this must have hurt. She is understandably upset. Very, very upset. She warns Kate that Clint sucks, and then she leaves. Clint heads back to bed, telling Kate that she can do whatever or go home. But Kate's okay. She has a thing tonight. And we should get to that thing soon enough. I think I've explained this pretty poorly, but in or the order of the guests at Clint's apartment, in chronological order, would be Cherry, then Jessica Drew, followed by Kate, and then, 45 minutes later, Bobby. So later that night, Kate is... No. No, she is not. It's Clint. I really should have proofread these notes before starting. Later that night, Clint is on the roof, talking to Grills about his relationship woes. But the rooftop chef suggests that a letter in in writing... Um, I'm going to just hit the microphone with my hand. I'm sorry. Uh, they're writing a letter um, to these women, primarily Jessica Drew, would maybe help solve some of these problems. And so he heads downstairs to do so. But someone is calling Grill's name. Gill, off to the side. This is followed by a silenced bullet to the head and by a man in clown makeup. Gill, we barely knew you. We saw you bond with your father. We saw you cook sausages on top of a roof. <sighs> what a man. What a man. But that thing Kate was up to, well, that's covered in the next issue, issue 10. She's at a party in a skyscraper run organised by her father, I believe, and when a man in a white suit enters. Who is this man? Kate says to herself, out loud, not even a thought. What happened to thought bubbles? You don't really get those these days. She said it. She just said it. What happens is a series of conversations between Kate and this man, that we find out is named Kazi, interspersed by absolutely beautiful flashbacks of this man's childhood in a war-torn European country. He comes from a circus background, but the loss of his friend in an explosion causes him to transform himself into a hitman known as the Clown. I don't believe it actually says the Clown in this volume. Just a little bit of extra reading on Wikipedia there. I do try and put effort into this. I do appreciate those who listen. Thank you. And the panel of the show award comes in here. It's another full-page panel lit in an orange hue, and it shows Kazi beginning his killing career. You've got a smashed window with a bullet hole in it, bodies going down, him right in the centre. It's lovely. Best panel of the book. So after a kiss goodbye, Kate returns to Clint's apartment to check in on him. They argue and she leaves, but not before Kazi followed her there, made his way to the roof and killed poor old Grills. 
The final issue stars Clint's ever-faithful four-legged companion, Lucky, who's been rather absent this volume. He's not really... He doesn't even feature in the background of very many panels, if any, if actually now I think about it. But he's now got an entire issue to himself. So it starts during Clint and Kate's argument in the previous issue, and uh, Lucky wanders out and come across Grill's little puppy. Together they make their way to the roof to find his lifeless body. After following a scent, he tracks down some members of the tracksuit mafia, but those aren't quite the ones that he wants. So later, Clint and Kate are attending Grill's funeral. They seem to have somewhat made up. Um, so Lucky heads off to hang out with Grill's little puppy once more. They look out the window to see some members of the tracksuit mafia climbing the ladder towards the roof. Lucky tears up there and gets the scent that he wants. Kazi, a.k.a. the clown. Some dog versus human fighting ensues. And then, I'm not going to lie, I'm not quite sure what happens next. So there's some fighting. A guy gets shot in the leg. They fall off the roof. And then in the next panel, they are in an old woman's apartment. The dogs, the clown and the goods, they're all there together. I don't quite get it. Someone please tweet at me. At PhD Reads, capital P, capital R, if you know this. Because honestly, I don't get it. Is it because Lucky used to be one of their dogs? Is that why he's still there? Because I feel like after being bitten by said dog, they wouldn't be together anymore. But what do I know? I'm just a, I only know about cells and Staph aureus. Anyway, Clint gets back. Lucky says hi, but Kate, she's had enough of Clint and his baggage. So she packs up, heads out to LA, and in the end, Lucky joins her. And that's when the next volume will pick up. Hawkeye, Volume 3, LA Woman. So that'll be the next episode. We will continue our journey through Matt Fraction's Hawkeye run. Um, as it's going to be December... Christmas, New Year, I might try and do something extra too, maybe. Depends on how the PhD going is going, I suppose. It's been a stressful few weeks, lots of experiments. Um, but Christmas holiday soon, I guess. That's some time for some rest and recuperation. Not that this podcast is now going to become therapy hour. Um, for those of you that have made it through these 26 minutes and 16 seconds of speech i thank you uh, i do appreciate each and every one of you who listens you can follow me and the show at phd read as i said capital p capital r if you are a crazy person you can support the show by clicking the link in the description or visiting supporter.acast.com forward slash phd dash student dash reads and that's it. That's the end of this ramble. Is it good? I don't know. Probably not. That's for you to decide. But thank you once again for listening. Stay safe during these trying times. And um, you'll hear from me soon. Goodbye. <laughs>